0: Welcome back to Sales Insights with Sarah. This is the podcast for sales professionals and business leaders looking to implement new strategies and drive sales growth in their organizations. I'm your host, Sarah Downs, and my guests and I will be sharing with you some of our own experiences in business and sales insights to help you gain focus and take action. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Sales Insights with Sarah podcast. Today I am delighted to have Simon Delve with me who is awesome and this is going to be an amazing interview. I'm really excited about it. Um, So a bit of background is I met Simon uh, at an event in London, not even two years ago now, and we have grown a relationship through business and actually ended up becoming good friends since then. And every time I'm around Simon, I learn from his experience, his insight. I think he's such an inspirational and motivational guy for so many reasons. And I needed to get him on the podcast to share that with you all. And so Simon spoke at our DucanuCon event in March this year, which was his first time on stage. And since then, he has launched his own podcast, which we'll be telling you about soon, um, so that's it for me. And hello, Simon.
1: Hello, Sarah. <laughs> thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm really excited to be here. Um, like you said, we've met um, a little while back now. And, you know, through that friendship, you know, I've had the pleasure of speaking on stage at one of your events. Uh, and I'm happy to support you on the podcast. It's a real pleasure. So thank you for having me.
0: So today, Simon and I are going to have a conversation all about sales culture. So I think it's best probably to go back to the start of your journey, Simon. And if you could tell us a little bit about what, I guess, why you got into sales initially in the first place and a little bit about your journey to date, that would be amazing.
1: Okay, brilliant. So my the majority of my sales experience has been in the automotive industry. And the I think the, the part of the selling came from, I worked in the Land Rover um, brand for the majority of my career. So part of the selling was the vehicles and the brand. um, And that kind of got me wanting to get more involved with with the customers and talk about the vehicles and so much what what they offer people, the excitement that it brings to the customers, the customer service element of it. You know, seeing people buy a product and the smile on their face understanding how hard they've worked for something um, and really what that purchase meant to somebody's life. And that was kind of the reason I got into sales because I wanted to get involved in that emotional aspect of it. And that's what brought me in. But before I ended up in sales, I was working on fixing them and working on the service desk. So I was helping people when they brought me in for maintenance. And through that experience, you learn that no matter what position you're in, in any business, you're selling, you're a salesperson, you're either selling yourself or you're selling the product, you're selling the brand. But no matter what we're doing, we're all in sales, you know, regardless. So that was, that's the aspect for me was the customer engagement, getting involved in those conversations and really helping people achieve and be part of their their special day in their new vehicle.
0: So did you start on the tools then? Were you in the the workshop?
1: I did, yeah. So um, I went to college and well, I went to school obviously first and didn't really get out of school what I would have hoped to be out of school. My grades weren't, um, weren't as good as I would have liked them to have been. So I planned on then going into the army. So I had like a city and guilds 383 in which I went into college. I achieved that. And by the time I wanted to go in the army, I decided I liked my friends and I liked my social life. So I decided to go and post CVs um, around every garage in the area. And fortunately, Land Rover rang me and they offered me an apprenticeship. So I spent five years as an apprentice up through to a fully qualified Land Rover technician.
0: Awesome. And then found yourself wanting to be more, I guess, customer facing. And that took you into the sales part of the
1: it did. I did. I had a lucky break, which actually is quite ir- ironic when I use that phrase. I've never said it before. But I did have a lucky break because when I was on the tools, I knew I wanted to get over into the showroom. But the way the path came is I fell down a step and I snapped my Achilles. Um, when that happened, I ended up on crutches and I didn't want to go um, and be on the sick. So I offered to work on the service desk, which was front of house. So, it's supposed to be in a home. I spent my time on crutches working on the front of the house. And from that, I learned um, the ropes being out there, which enabled me to take that um, level into the sales arena. So, when I learned the ropes, I served two years doing that. As soon as the job came up, I applied, I moved forward. And then I started working on Saturdays in my own time in the sales um, showroom to prove uh, my worth. And that's how I ended up being really where, where I wanted to be.
0: Amazing. I think I've said to you before, Simon, um, I've worked with a lot of schools and colleges and I'm yet to hear a child say to me, I want to be a salesperson. You know, I want to work in business development. I don't think it's usually something, you know, as a child or even when we leave school that we um, strive to become but usually, you know, it's being on the journey that takes you there for one way, one reason or another. Um, so I'm not surprised that you, you were on the tools first or, you know, in a different discipline first at all. So um, you've obviously had quite an, a lot of experience now and worked your way through the team into sales management. Um, so what took you from being on the shop floor to, I guess, wanting to move then into the office and manage the team?
1: I think that's all around the culture. There's something inside of you. If you become a a leader or a manager, there's something inside of you that makes you aware of everything else that's going on around you. You're not tunnel visioned. So when you when you're working um, and your real purpose is to serve, you want to help those around you, but you also want to help your customers. So the natural progression through anyone in that point, regardless what industry you're in, is you find yourself doing your own work, and the own work you're doing kind of becomes, I wouldn't say easy, but you're comfortable. You're comfortable you can deliver on what you need to in your own role. And then you see your colleagues that might need a little bit of help, so you start getting involved, you start offering assistance, you start taking accountability for other people's actions, trying to help them. And that naturally pushes you up. So from that, you get a taste for it. And someone says, thank you for your help. And it gives you a buzz. You think, oh, well, I've managed to help someone. So the next person says it. And you're like, oh, actually, I think I've got something more here to offer, not just to customers, but also to my team. And then you end up looking at positions above you and saying, okay, I think actually I want to now go into a leadership or management position where I can help all of my team and all of my customers and try and pay a, play a more pivotal role in the business and the department.
0: And how did you find that in automotive? Because obviously every sector is slightly different in what a typical sales culture would be. Um, my own experience of being a customer in a car garage or in a car showroom is that you never see the managers. You know, they're always hidden away in the office and every time the salesperson needs sign off or to ask a question they disappear and they come back with the answer but my own experience is that you don't really see the managers but they are supporting their team and um, all the time so was it like that for you guys or was it slightly different
1: I had um, I had various managers leading me through my time before I become a manager and you pick up some habits that you want to take through with you for your career, but you also pick up some habits that you want to leave behind. You know, when everyone's got a different style, you know, I always say like four plus one and three plus two, they both make five. So there's no saying that one way is the only way, but you have to be comfortable with it. It has to sit right with you. So some people can manage in one way and still be effective, but for another, they'd be like, I could never do that. And I think that's when you end up finding change of culture so in businesses when you get new managers you normally get new people
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it's because people align with other with others so it doesn't make the last manager bad it doesn't mean mean the current team that may end up changing a bad it just means that we all want to work or play for somebody else that we tend to relate to um, so through my experience i had what i would say were very effective leaders that would lead me in a way that would get the best out of me i'd have leaders that probably meant i didn't really enjoy my job as much as i'd want to enjoy it um and then when you get into leadership and management you realize that it isn't that easy you know and to please everybody you can't you know So that's when you develop more of a I guess your strategy then for your team becomes more about roles, responsibility and accountability because that's the easiest way to manage it fairly with everybody, as opposed to trying to impress a personality on one person that might be outgoing and then on another person who may be a bit more introvert. um, They're not comfortable with how you might be and how you relay yourself. So that then becomes a key part of trying to create a culture in a team.
0: And I guess all of us have worked under leaders and managers, which are two very different things. And we often speak about leadership. Um, and when people hear that word leader, they assume they're an executive or a manager, But really any of us can be leaders. You know, when you were still on the tools, you were probably a leader, you know, to the guys around you. We can lead our friends or colleagues or families. But then management on its own without the leadership in there is something, is well, can be something quite different. And I, that's, you remember people that have led you more than you remember the people that have managed you.
1: I think, I think that's totally true. Um, the, the manager will tell you what to do. The leader will show you how. And that's always the difference for me. Um, you know, saying to somebody, that, that's what I need today you know, come back and let me know when it's done is completely different to somebody saying, right, what's our challenges today? How does it look? How do we think we'll get there? You know, do we think it's achievable? You know, do we want to go for that today? Do we want to cut it back a bit? Should we add a bit on, you know? And how can we do it? You know, and how many times can I help you today? Do you want me to leave you to it and I'll speak to you at five o'clock? Or do you want to have another meeting at one o'clock another meeting at three o'clock just so we can step stone our way through it just to make sure you haven't got stuck anywhere, you know, and that's the difference. Leadership is all about the togetherness. Management is all about, I've done my bit. I've told you what you need to do. Now you go do it.
0: Yeah. I think you get those old school managers with the barking of the orders, and sort of almost, well, we call it military style, but then when you actually speak to people in the military, that's not really how it's done. Um, but I think you've got those people that bark orders are quite impatient. It's like, well, I've told you once, I shouldn't need to tell you again. And then you've got people like yourself that are going to really lead and work with the team. Do you implement coaching as part of that, Simon?
1: I do. Um, but I've got it so wrong in the past. Um, there was when I started off in my leadership journey, um, I was a manager. I wasn't a leader when I started. I was a manager and That was because I'd probably been managed and not led before. And it's just like as children, you know, we only learn really and it's from what we hear or what we see. And it's the same when you're in a team, you know, somebody will put you in a role that they know you don't know. And then all of a sudden they forget the fact that you don't know what you're doing and expect it done. And when I first started off as a manager, I got it wrong a lot. I did get it wrong a lot because I wanted to engage with people and help people, but you've got to recognize the skill sets, you know? And although I've always been somebody who talk a lot to somebody and i listen, i have a lot of empathy, a lot of compassion for them, um, sometimes the, the element of taking them through the, the levels of learning wasn't strong enough, you know? And then that would become an expectation. And yeah, I think when I first started, some people who worked for me early on, there'd be a mixed review. Some people would say, well, no, actually, he just managed me. Um, And it turned for me back in, I started off as a manager in 2007. And it was probably 2010 when I really changed. Um, I had a, a gentleman called Neil Fox. And he came down to look after the dealership for a couple of months. And he sat there after a couple of weeks and spoke to me. And he just asked me, you know, how I feel about my job. Am I enjoying it? So I love it. He said, well, you're clearly very good at your job. He said, you're very good at what you do. You can get it done. He said, but how well do your team know you? How well do your team know you? And I was like, oh, pretty well. I'm sure they know you pretty well. <laughs> and he said, well, I think I disagree. So we, we then spoke further and deeper then and he opened me up, he opened me right up and made me realize that for people to relate to me, they needed to understand me. And I could, I could talk to anybody on a personal level and be there for them, but my vision for where I believed that people could take their potential and my vision for where I believed the business potential could go can come across um, as a suppression Because if people can't see and feel what you can see and feel, all they hear is noise. They just see, oh, my God, you know, he wants to do all this. He wants to do all that. Why is he telling me I can get all this done? And it's because I believed everybody that I worked with had super potential. They could all be amazing. But they didn't see it, and they didn't see where I was coming from. So that was a turning point. That was when I started to really take leadership seriously and realize I needed to change more than i needed the people around me to change
0: something i've always struggled with in managing and leading a team is that balance you need to have of my natural state is that sort of kind compassionate empathetic but then you still have to be boss as well you know you still need to be able to motivate people hold people accountable i guess um pull them up when something isn't right how did, you manage to, how did you manage to get that balance? And I'm sure it would have taken some time. Maybe you're still working on it, but... I, I,
1: I was too... I've always found it easy to pull somebody up. I've always found it really easy um, because I'm so straight-laced in my mind. You know, it's like, well, that's my job, you know? And I would say to some people, so essay for argument's sake, um, we had a punctuality problem. So somebody would be coming in late. i say, okay, when, when we had the interview and you obviously went through all the positives and we agreed that you're the right fit for the team, if you had told me that you were gonna be late every day, do you think I still would have given you the job? And they'd look at me and be like, no. i say, why wouldn't I have give you the job if you were late every day? Because that's not what you were looking for. It's not good, it's not punctual. So why is it okay now? You know, and I would just use little points like that to try and align people. So I've almost been too comfortable to have those conversations. Um, And I believe it's the way I kind of word it is the position, the positions in work that we take are based on the decisions that we're willing to make. Yeah. And that's kind of how I see it. If you want to go into leadership or you want to go into management, You really have to be prepared to have a difficult conversation because regardless of how motivational or inspirational I wish to be, of how many lives I wish to change, people live their own life and not everybody wants for themselves what I want for them. Not everybody wants for the business that I want for the business. Some people don't see past the month or the year. They're living the day and that day, whatever emotions they carry, everybody has to carry um, and the important thing about culture isn't about making sure that everyone's all right singly. It's making sure that the team is okay. Yeah. And having somebody that is down on the business can suppress somebody who's great in the business. And my, my job is to make sure that both parties are okay. So the one that is down, I want to lift up. But the one that is up, I've got to protect them and make sure they don't come down. um so you have to be aware in the business that's the important thing with culture if you're not watching and learning and not aware of what's going on in your business you tend then to come too late and then you lose good people or that could be because their performance has dropped um or it it could be that someone else has dragged them
0: down you just spoke there simon about awareness so the awareness of what's going on around you but how important do you think it is as a leader to have that self-awareness so each and every day when you turn up having that self-awareness of how you feel what emotions you're carrying what maybe baggage you're carrying you know maybe the argument with someone at home before you you come into work for example
1: that's crucial absolutely crucial and the way i've kind of come over that is I'm very vocal in what I want to achieve. I, I speak to a lot of people in the teams through various times of the day. Um, I have changed that slightly, which I'll go on to in a minute, but I try and share now after speaking to Neil years ago, my home life. So every day I'll try and say, last night we went out with the kids and we did this. Or you never guess what, my tiles come off the roof last night and you know, we're flooded or the dog was barking at three o'clock in the morning. Because so I'm aware that my mood is very evident. I wear my hat on my sleeve. It isn't hard to tell if I'm not happy or I'm tired. You know, I, I can put a game face on to a point, but people know. People know how Simon Down feels. So I find it easy enough to share. If I share with people how I'm feeling then they'll understand me. And that's what I encourage them to do is talk to me. I know the old phrase of my door's always open, but mine is, you know, I have a lot of personal conversations with a lot of my staff and it isn't through a gossip, you know, just a a chat. It's about me being there for them and them knowing that if they talk to me about a situation that they have, I'll understand, you know, if they need to have time off, if they need to do something, then talk to me and and I can help them. So I've kind of tried to get that balance of, you know, people assume I might be unhappy with them because my face and my body language might not be in the best place because of something else ulterior. Um, so I like to share it and make people feel at ease that, you know, he's had a bad night with the kids not sleeping or whatever. And that's how i try tried to manage that.
0: Yeah, I think self-awareness is so important. And it's something that... You know, you have to go on your own personal journey to gain self-awareness. And it's something that you continuously need to work on as well and make sure that you're checking in with yourself, you know, before checking in with others. The other thing I think is hugely important in leadership is being comfortable to show vulnerability, you know, being comfortable to say, I actually don't know the answer to that, even though this team is looking up to you as the person that should know, as the person that should be okay. Okay as the person that should be confident. Have you got any um, examples of when you've had to show vulnerability within your team?
1: I now build um, my teams around vulnerability.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Vulnerability has been the game changer for myself. Um, I left the automotive industry in 2015 after working. So it was, 30th September 1996 that I started with Land Rover and I left I think it was February 2015 so I think it was 18 and a half years I worked in one brand from being an apprentice technician all the way through to the service advisor to the sales executive to finance sales and manager to sales manager so I'd spent a long time working in that industry and i left to go and work abroad for a short period of time and when i went to work abroad i realized then who i really was because you can morphed into your surroundings you can morph into the industry and you start acting in ways that people kind of tell you that you need to act and be a way you need to be and by getting away from it i realized who i really was so going from the vulnerability in 2010 to learn, to start sharing about myself, I was able to come back into the industry and actually be myself. Um, And from that, I now build my team around it because you've got to be able to empower your team. If you want to be the be all and end all, people won't grow. People won't grow because majority of people I've worked around, and not all of them, because there's some amazing people, but There's also a lot of ego-driven people. And if you're driven by ego, you will not let people around you do it. You know, I've had leaders in the past where I'll, you know, put something forward and create something. And the next thing you know, it's, oh, I've done this, I've done that. And I'm like, really? I'll I'll let you run with that. That's fine by me. Not bothered. Um, But this. This goes on to another fact in, in business where people still don't employ people underneath them that are more qualified or better than them because they're worried about their jobs. And that's one of the worst things you can do. I've got two managers in, in Lexus at the minute uh, and they're tremendous. You know, they really are tremendous. And, you know, if for any reason I wasn't working there, they're both in a position where with a, a few bits of learning in different areas, you know, they've got a lot of qualities and I'm proud of that. And that's where the vulnerability comes from because I will go to both of them every single day and ask them different questions about different areas that I might not know. Yeah. And what I found it enables you to do. Like I've been to meetings and people say, how, how do you manage to get everything done? I said, because I've got a team that do it, you know, and I like to spend more time getting to know my team and helping my team and supporting them in their roles as opposed to trying to be all and end all so vulnerability is is key you've got to allow people to be better than you if they're better than you and you've got to allow them to grow
0: that's so true so true and i think it's something that many leaders don't almost learn until it's too late um and i know a lot of business owners so say you're a business leader but within the i guess employed world and then you've got business leaders who are, I guess, the entrepreneurs that have founded the business. And I sometimes find they are the worst people um, for recruiting and people that could potentially be better than they are because they see this business as their baby. And, and, you know, that they founded it, it was all their ideas, and, you know, they don't want someone else to almost outshine them um, mm-hmm. in their own little bubble, I suppose. And, it's it's so true, though. If you want um, to protect your business and make it sustainable as well, you should constantly be striving to recruit in people that are amazing and that could potentially be a lot better than you are as well. And it's something that I was told very early on in my career, when you're recruiting, always look for somebody that's better than you. Um, and instead of putting loads of time and effort into learning the things that you're not great at and educating yourself in those areas, stay in your own lane, focus on what you're amazing at and recruit in other people that are amazing at what they're doing to fill some of those gaps instead.
1: It is. And I think, you know, I always relay stuff back to the sport. I think sports probably the easiest thing to relay everything back to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you'll have one goalkeeper and you might have one striker on the pitch you know, and obviously you've got all the other players on there. And, you know, the striker doesn't want to be able to save, you know, and go into goals. And some, to be honest, there's some goalkeepers, I think they do want to be strikers when you watch the sport. However, you know, they all want to be able to help cover, but they appreciate that someone else is in a position in the team because they can do a job and they want to help everyone bring their best strengths out. And when people would prefer to work super long hours, get themselves into a very um, heightened state of anxiety and stress because they want to do it all and they want to keep telling everyone they're doing it all when just through good, precise recruitment, allowing them to bring in really high-quality people that can maybe do their job and do their job better and seeing what they add to the team you know, because you bring somebody good into the business, it lifts the whole team. Yeah. Every team goes quiet from time to time. It doesn't matter how motivational, inspirational you are as a leader, or how the business is. Um, again, you go back to sport. All the sport teams, you know, whether it's F1 and they bring in a new driver, you know, whether it's rugby, football, they bring in new people. They bring them in because they want to lift the spirits of the team. They want to get everyone remotivated and and you know inspire them to go again. And it's really important any business that's got an opportunity to bring a high quality um, recruit in should do it, regardless of how, um, how high they might go or how good they will be compared to the employer, is regardless whether they're better or not, they should be looking to bring the best people in
0: Yeah, and in say, you know when recruiting for someone in sales and building that team, obviously not all salespeople are good at everything. You know, it's too much to ask that everyone is amazing, all competencies of sales. So is that something you look for in your recruitment process to, I guess, break down what are those individuals' key strengths? and Where do they align with others in the team to make sure that that sort of start to finish process is completely covered by really strong individuals?
1: I think for me, it comes down to attitude and caring. They're the two things. So if we're recruiting, they're initially the first two things we'll look at. Has this person shown anything in their past when you go through their CV? And when you're with them, have they got a good attitude? Where have they represented a good attitude in the past? Where they failed, because we've all failed, i failed so many times, I've got to write a book. Where they failed, do they care that they failed? You know, does someone sit with you in an interview and say, I failed there because I didn't show up. I failed there because I didn't do the work. I failed there because I didn't really commit. Or do they say, oh yeah, I had a a boss and I didn't really like him. And I don't think he, I think he favored someone else and he didn't really like me. So I left, you know, or they come up with some other reason that things happen. Now I know in the workplace, there's definitely elements where some people are not treated well. I'm not going to say that it's not, I know that for hundred percent. So There will be genuine reasons why some people have left the role. But there's a lot of reasons when I've dug deep in interviews that really all the boss has done is ask them to be accountable and responsible for their role. And they've taken offense at that and they've left. So you look at that and you think, you could be the best salesperson in the world. But that ain't gonna make no difference because if you come into my team, all you're gonna do is change the dynamic. Because every time you're selling well, you're going to be, I've done it all. And when something goes wrong, you're going to be, oh, well, somebody did this and that's caused me to fail. Yeah. And that's the worst element. So the first thing we look for is attitude and caring. If we can find that in somebody, then it comes down to commitment from both sides. So if you came to me for an interview and you said to me, hi, Simon, I'm Sarah. This is where I've demonstrated that I've got a good attitude and I care. Brilliant but I've never sold in my life. Okay. So then I decide to bring Sarah into the business. Brilliant. At what point does it then become fair that I expect you to be able to sell and deliver a result? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It becomes fair when I've delivered on my promise. When I've taken you through the coaching and I've shown you everything you need to do to become a competent sales professional and we've confirmed that I've shown you how to do it, you've shown me that you can do it. Then I can say, right then, Sarah, now it's time. Now it's time for you to deliver. And this is what I expect until that point. I can never ask of you why you haven't done the job yeah. because you told me in the interview that you've never done the job. Mm-hmm. And that's where we work in terms of where our expectancy levels. So people that may be higher, haven't grown a long relationship with in sales. It's never down to ability. It's always down to attitude and caring because you've got to be able to work in an intense level in sales. You've got to be able to ring the phone every day, get off your seat, go speak to people every day, and you've got to want it. There is an element of hunger that you need. And I could show you all the processes in the world. I could talk to you for 20 minutes every day in coaching sessions and tell you, but if you don't leave a seat, if you don't pick the phone up, if you turn up late, if you can't be bothered to polish your shoes, I cannot help you. So that's where I get the measurement through who I can and who I can't help. That's
0: it's- amazing to hear because we obviously work with a lot of um, teams of executives and have the conversation around sales recruitment, um, whether that be a junior person writes you to a VP of sales. And it's too often focused on the competencies, like the abilities, as you said, where really all of that stuff can be taught quite easily if that person is coachable they have a drive and a desire to achieve they're committed like you said and also they take personal responsibility they're not just going to always be blaming you know the manager the product the i don't know covid for example right now an industry downturn the fact it's not payday weekend you know there's so many things are excuses that salespeople can use And you're right, if you get someone that is truly committed, they're going to take personal responsibility for their own actions, but also take responsibility for what that team achieves. Um, And they have the right drive, desire, and they're coachable, then really the competencies don't matter. That's the easy bit in some respects.
1: It comes back to the competencies then of the company. Yeah. Because, you know, the company has to deliver. You know, there's no company out there that has the divine right to have employees.
0: Yeah.
1: They haven't. And a lot of them think they might, but they haven't. You know, we're we're all born into into this life with opportunity and choice. You know, the fact that somebody sends me a CV, I take a lot of pride in that, that somebody wants to work in our business. Um, And if somebody agrees to start in our business, I'm actually really excited about it because there's so many businesses out there. There's so many places people could go to work. And I know we're in a difficult situation where people say, well, you know, you might be desperate for a job now because of some unemployment. But it's still nice that somebody wants to come and meet you and then they say, do you know what? I'm going to get up every day at six o'clock in the morning and I'm going to go to work and I'm going to spend all day trying to help you and your business with my time. And I'm going to dedicate and commit to that. Like that's a big thing. And when companies miss that, and they take it as a divine right oh well, well why wouldn't they want to work here well why would they want to work here yeah. and you've got to always look at that and try and deliver um and that's the hard part about management mm-hmm. because you can't lead people who are facing the other way yeah. and there's your divide because if i'm leading some, they look behind and they are all come in brilliant come on let's go oh you know jump in the lane one by one off we go If you look behind and there's people going off in different directions, then you've got to stop leading for a moment and start managing. Then you've got to say, okay, that's the pack there, off you go, you just hold by there a second. Let's go and have a chat with these people now. And then we need to manage them because we've got to manage their expectations. Because if you're delivering on yours, if I say, right, I told you I'm going to bring you in and I said I would do X, Y, Z, and I'll give that to you. You told me in the interview you are going to give me this. Where's your end of the bag? you know are you delivering to me you know why is your attitude wrong why don't you care because at the moment customers like to become familiar with their surroundings i know this online sales but still in the car industry especially in lexus um the, the customer rate of renewals that come in is really high and they like to deliver they like to come in and work with familiar faces and buy from familiar faces. So you don't really want the turnover of staff. And yes, there's lots of them out there, but you don't want it. You don't want Mrs. Jones coming in saying, oh, where's Adam gone? Mm -hmm. And you've got to explain then, well, where's Adam gone? And then they start looking at the business. They look at the managers and they start thinking, oh, maybe they're not treating their staff right because they're not staying. And that's a really bad thing for a customer to think. Um, You're
0: absolutely right. I've bought my last three cars from the same guy. Um and to be honest, sometimes I've thought I actually want to go to another garage, but it's the individual that keeps pulling me back, not the brand, not the cars. You know, you can um, in certain garages obviously you can buy multiple different brands. It's the person. And we're actually now friends on Facebook and LinkedIn and everything. And I've built a relationship up with him. And, you know, if he was to move to another garage, the chances are I'm going with him. Yeah. So you're absolutely right, Simon.
1: It is. It's 100%. Them. Like we, when we employ people, we employ them for the long, long term. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where the frustration comes. So when we go back to managers being um, familiarized with the army and, you know, yeah. being kind of draconian and militant.
0: Yeah.
1: I feel for some managers. I really do because I know some managers that have come across like that and it was said about me a long time ago and I know I come from a real good place I always come from a good place I'm always there to serve I want to help but if you don't manage people properly you end up in a situation where you'll end up being that person you've got to be on a a steady platform from day one. People need to know straight away, what are your expectations? How do we have a good working relationship? If I deliver, you deliver, we work well together. I might get on with you, I might tell you about my evening, you might tell me about yours, but we are a business. You've got responsibilities, so have I. I've never gone, and some people call me at the Wind Me Up. But ever since I was a manager, no one's ever been allowed to call me boss or call me a manager. Mm -hmm. And it's because I will not be seen as any better than anybody else. I just possibly can't because I'm no better. And I want a a level playing field where it only comes down. So now I'm a center manager. So now I look after the whole business. So I look after obviously sales, parts, service, and the whole business. And I've done that now for a few years in different businesses. And I'm no better than anybody else. You know, me and my wife, we, we invited the cleaner to our wedding. Now, I used to meet um, Stephanie every morning for a couple of hours while she was cleaning. But we talked about everything and we got on really well. Um, So it doesn't matter what role or title I ever have. I'm no better than anyone else. But what is different is our responsibilities. I'm accountable for the whole business, but they're responsible for their responsibilities. And they have to be. Because where the problem comes with managers sometimes getting a bad name it's because they stay too friendly. They become too accommodating to underperformance. And when you become accommodating to underperformance, people soon bring that into a way of habit. It's always okay, they understand. And then when the manager says, right, now it's time to step up. And that person's like, that ain't happening. You've always been okay. <laughs> and the manager's like, well, no, you've got to do it. Yeah. And then the conflict comes in. And that's where a lot of good people get a bad rap And it's not because they come from that place of being draconian and militant. It's Mm -hmm. because they left it too long before they tried to stand on problems that were evident. And if they stood on it early and they really dealt with it as soon as it came, they would never end up in that position. So for me, I guess I'm somebody that people would say is um, fair, but outspoken. Mm -hmm. So, I will tell somebody as and when how I feel about a situation. And I find that although it's not always the best for people, I have to learn how people want it. Um, it does work majority of the time because nothing builds up. I won't be going to somebody and saying nine, nine months ago, you did this. Yeah. You know, I'll be saying, we talked about this yesterday. We talked about it the day before. And that, I think that for me is really key um on the culture part of it everyone needs to know where they stand and no shocks to be given months after because that's where you have a the conflict
0: you mentioned that you're now center um or was it center, center manager home? yeah center manager and that was actually one of the questions i had for you because not everyone that becomes a sales manager wants to go on to become a business manager but you did make that change. So what was your driver to go from managing the sales team to managing the entire business?
1: Um, It was the the 12th of September, 1996. I went for my interview in Land Rover. And I sat there with a gentleman called Alan Cantor. He was the workshop controller. So I went through the doors and I was asking for Alan. So Alan came along, we sat down. And I was quite um, a confident person to a point in myself. I was a bit of an introvert growing up. I think some people will agree and some won't, but I was. Um, and he said, right then, Simon, what do you want to be when you grow up? As they do, you know, as I might do to people now. And I said, I want to, I want to be the manager of the business. And he looked at me and laughed. I said, I'll run this place by the time I'm 35. And he just laughed. me. he said, okay, let's see how that happens then. I said, no, I do. He said, well, let's just see if we can make a good apprentice out of you first, shall we? I said, well, that's a fair point. <laughs> that's just, that's that. yeah, that's that. So I set my goal out then. I set my goal out in 1996, but that's what I was gonna do. Um, and then 2015 was, I think I was 35 at the time when I moved away. And I was very close then to having now those opportunities come my way. And I decided to go and try something different. And it was the fear of getting that job that drove me there mm-hmm. because I didn't want to get that job then. And that was where I stayed forever. Okay. I needed, I need to try something different, you know, mm-hmm. and that, that's what drove me. So then all those journeys through service advisor and sales and transactional business manager for finance and sales manager, every time I went through, it just solidified it. It made me realize that I want to be responsible for a team, I want to be responsible for an outcome. I want to be challenged to corral, you know, a group of people and face them the same way and achieve results. And I must have felt it even before I even led myself, never mind a team. But that—that's what drove me there.
0: That's amazing. And have you ever had a, an interview that you've been conducting where, you know, a seventeen-year-old potential apprentice tells you that they want to run the business?
1: I have. We got one now, actually. Um, Cash. Um, Cash is, he was an apprentice and he's just um, done his first year. Um, He worked it elsewhere and he's just joined us. And when I spoke to him, that's what he said he wants to do. I said, that's interesting. Why do you want to do that? You know, we had a little chat and I said, oh, do you think it's achievable? He's like, yeah, yeah. He said, I think I can achieve it. I said, well, it is achievable. I said, because I did it, you know, and then he was like, oh, really? You did that? And I was like, I did. And there, there's, quite a few, um, there's quite a few people in the, in the industry that have done it. You know, there's quite a few people have done it. I wouldn't say masses. There's a few people have done it. And I think it's, it's great when you're then running the business because I can interact with everybody in that business and I understand what they've done. And it hasn't changed. It has not changed. The industry has not changed. Some of the systems are 20 years old. It really hasn't changed. So um, I I really get when somebody like an apprentice or anybody, like part of what I want to do in the future is to inspire youngsters to believe they can achieve. Um, I know we spoke about earlier, but um, obviously one of my latest podcasts is about, you know, is life too short or is it long enough?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Well, not many people would look today at 16 years of age and say, when I'm 35, that's what I want to do. They might say, when I'm 20, is what I want to do, or I'm 24, 25. But there ain't many people who put a 20-year gap with a working progressive chart in front of them and commit. So I'm going to do this for the next 20 years to get to that goal. And that's where life is long enough if we're fortunate enough.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. I love that story. And I hope that one day I interview someone for my current business that says that to me, you know, one day I want to run this business. I think I'd hire them in a heartbeat um, as long as they could back that up a little bit on, you know, how do you plan to achieve it? And it's not just a kind of throwaway remark. Um yeah. so you are a busy guy. Um, I know that you have three kids, you have a busy home life, you work long hours, you are involved with other businesses So what do you do to take time out? How do you unwind and just take some you time?
1: Um, I think it's not much you you time available, I'll be honest. Um, So there's a few, few key things that I do that help me. And the first one is starting my day right. I have to start my day right. And I've only learned this over the last few years, I'll be honest. But... So starting my day right for me consists of um, waking up. I have a full glass of water to get my metabolism going and and get me going. And then I meditate. And the meditation isn't something that I've always done for years and years. But a while back, I came across um, a a gentleman called Jamie. And Jamie, um, his son plays in the football team with my boy. So we were having a chat, and he said, oh, I've got an, I got an app, Meditation. I thought, there's a few of them about, I've heard about them. Tell me more. So we sat down, we spoke about it, and the app is called Samten, S-A-M-T-E-N. And we had a look at it. Anyway, I started using it. He gave me subscription to it. I started using it, and it's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing because you're really not doing anything different apart apart from stopping. Literally, that's all you do. you're stopping. Everything that's going on, you just stop, and you breathe, and you feel, and you listen, uh, and you can't really control what's going on in your mind, but you observe it and you you begin to understand it. So for me, that's a key part of starting right. So I like to get up, um, drink some water, and then meditate. And then when I get ready, I'm off to work, and then the next thing really is audibles or podcasts, you know, you've always got to be learning. Mm. You've always got to be learning. If you keep learning, it stops you from getting stale. And it also stops you from having reoccurring thoughts or worries because it gets, gets your innovation going. You start thinking a lot and your imaginations going, in and you start believing that you can achieve things. And so you hear someone's done something say, so I could do that or I could do this or I'm familiar with that. And that's the key thing. You've got to keep yourself inspired for more. So if you can start your day right, um, listen to some audibles or listen to some podcasts, that is that's key. And that's my downtime. Because like you say, we've got three children, you know, we, we run other businesses and yeah, life's pretty busy. So if you're going to use me time, just try and remember to learn and grow. That's what you need to do.
0: It's great to hear because obviously we've spoken about a lot about building culture and leading teams, but I think unless you can lead yourself and look after yourself, it's very difficult to lead or look after anyone else. Yeah. Um, so I always ask, you know, business leaders or leaders of any type, you know, how do you lead yourself really first? Yeah. I think that's so important. So I'm really aware of time. And firstly, Thank you so much for giving me time on your Sunday evening because I know, like we said already, you live a, a busy life. Um, and it's very evident that I'm in Scotland and you're in Wales right now because the, the light on the cameras is <laughs> different and darker and darker here um, up north. Um, but thank you so much Um, obviously you have your podcast and Sam 10, there's a few things going on so where is the best place for my listeners to follow you Simon?
1: Um, So my podcast is on all the the major um, channels really that you can find it on so wherever you listen to a podcast you'll find it and it's called It's Tomorrow That Counts and the basis of the podcast you'll find me is I believe that not everybody can react today. So some people will say, come on, let's get it done. Let's move forward. And not everybody can. Some people can't see past today the and they, they don't know a way forward. So it's tomorrow that counts is there based on helping people. So as to say, right, I know today is too much. And tomorrow might seem too far away. So we just want to bridge that gap and help people try and baby step from where they are to believe that tomorrow can count, to believe that tomorrow can bring them a better day than what they're getting today. And, you know, especially from TakaraCon, we had some amazing speakers up there and you did an amazing job. And there was a few people up there that really lived to tell the story about going through adversity and beyond. They really do. There's like there'd be some people that might have suffered what they suffer and may not see a way through. You know, we, we talked about one of your you guests that had a very unfortunate um, circumstance, life-changing, horrific injury. And then he went on to roll the channel and you never have thought it, you know. So, yeah, you can find me on It's tomorrow that counts. Um, and Sam 10, you can download the app in, in any way you want, really. So that's the best places to, to find it. You'll find it tomorrow that counts on Instagram as well. So I welcome anybody that wants to come along and join my journey.
0: Well, I'll put the links to everything in the show notes as well to make it easy for you guys to follow Simon. Um, And just want to say another huge thank you to you um, for giving me your time. I'm really excited to get this episode out there and share all of your insight and experience with my listeners. um, And I'll speak to you soon. So thank you everyone for listening. And we'll see you on the next episode thank you for listening to the sales insights with sarah podcast remember to subscribe if you haven't already so that you're notified of every new episode if you could take a few minutes to leave a review it would be greatly appreciated see you next time